You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome. Welcome to Monday here on WJMS Radio and DoubleMintRadio.com over in the UK. This is Steve, and we're here with another episode of Fired Up, where we dig into the mechanics of the political system here in America. And as we now have the UK in our club, we're going to add a little bit in for you guys, too. So let's, let's get it started. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I had a plan for this show uh, as I work through the week. I really wanted to kind of follow up on what I talked about last week and dig into, you know, Republican and Democratic uh, congressional and Senate uh, responses to the will of the people and, you know, go from there into, you know, discussions on the election and so forth and so on. And surprisingly, one would think that, you know, not much could knock the uh, presidential election and coronavirus and the economic uh, situation here in the U.S. with unemployment and all of that. But on Friday, uh, the nation lost a Supreme Court justice, uh, which you've probably heard, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, arguably the liberal leader of the uh, liberal side of the Supreme Court, died on Friday night at the age of 87 uh, after uh, a long battle with cancer, actually the, the fourth battle she had had, and you know, immediately sent shockwaves throughout the uh, United States and arguably throughout the world. So we're going to talk about you know, the impacts of her passing, uh, not only on the court, but on our political system here in the U.S., uh, first, though, before we get to that, let's, of course, do our, uh, our wrap-up of the current status of the COVID pandemic uh, here in the U.S. and in the U.K. Uh, for us here in, in the United States, uh, we're at 6.78 million confirmed cases, and we are just shy of 200,000 uh, people who have died from the disease at 199,400 uh, as of Sunday. Uh, so we will likely cross that uh, 200,000 milestone within the next you know, week or so. Over in the UK, you guys uh, are at 394,000 people confirmed with the disease and 41,800 people have uh, died in the UK from COVID-19. So. The disease continues uh, it to, to wreak its havoc uh, around the world. Uh, in fact, uh, not only here in the U.S., where several states which had uh, already started to uh, reopen in some form or fashion have actually had to walk that back uh, in the light of some uh, flare-ups in various areas, notably the southwest and the central part of the country, and uh, over in Europe, uh, a few countries are actually looking at going back under lockdown as they have seen some localized spikes in the illness. So, you know, as, as we said before, you know, this is not a passing phase. This is not a temporary thing. Uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, 
is something that is part of our existence now, something we have to adapt to, adjust to, and protect ourselves from. And uh, we'll, we'll pick up on that thread later up in the show. Uh, but to get back to our lead, um, you know, as I said, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was a uh, justice on the United States Supreme Court, uh, she was appointed by President Clinton uh, 27 years ago in 1993 and almost immediately uh, began what is a, a phenomenal uh, judicial career on the high court. Uh, her first major decision, uh, which came you know, in, in within a couple of years of her appointment, uh, was writing the majority opinion in the United States versus Virginia, the ruling struck down the Virginia Military Institute's 157-year-old policy of male-only admissions as unconstitutional and set a stricter legal standard for government action that treats men and women differently. This um, was a groundbreaking decision for the Supreme Court and Justice Ginsburg uh, wrote the uh, affirming opinion on it. Uh, she, you know, wasn't an, an untiring, just a, a tireless advocate for equal rights, uh, particularly for women, but for everyone as well. During her term on the court, even her dissenting opinions in cases where the uh, liberal position uh, did not succeed became widely recognized and admired as roadmaps for the future uh, in terms of how the court could process and should process related cases. Uh, she also, uh, among other things, uh, was a very close friend with uh, not only a, a uh, ideological opposite uh, of, of hers on, on the bench, but you know, uh, a, a political uh, or po yeah, po political opposite as well. And that was uh, Justice Scalia. Uh, who became very close friends with Justice Ginsburg uh, through their, their mutual love of the opera, uh, often seen together attending operas and even you know, having cameo roles in a few opera productions in the Washington area. Um, you know, Scalia you know, commented that he considered Ginsburg to be the Thurgood Marshall of women's rights uh, a reference to the legendary civil rights lawyer who helped end racial segregation before becoming the nurse, nation's first African-American justice on the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, it, it is interesting to note that for someone of, of such a small size, and you know, she stood five foot one, very tiny, you know, uh, lady, uh, she actually had probably, if not the, one of the most uh, noteworthy positions, you know, in the court in that she uh, achieved sort of the level of a rock star, even gaining the uh, nickname of Notorious RBG, uh, kind of an homage uh, to the nickname for the, the late rapper Biggie Smalls, who was called Notorious B.I.G. Uh, she was, you know, just a, a towering figure for one so small on the court, not shy about offering opinions off the bench in, in terms of where she stood on some things, and in, in some cases, achieving a little bit 
of notoriety in, in those regards. So, you know, it, it is a, a stunning loss, not only to the court, uh, and we're going to talk about the impacts of her passing, you know, on the court and, and you know, on what's, what's swirling around uh, her replacement on the court, but she also was a, a role model and an icon for women and particularly young women and girls who you know, she spoke frequently uh, to and about you know, from the standpoint of being on the, on the court and from all of the battles that she fought to get to her position on the Supreme Court in addition to her long battle uh, spanning uh, easily uh, 15 or more years with you know, four bouts with cancer. You know, a as an 80-year-old woman, she was untiring in her uh, pursuit of her career as a Supreme Court justice, even hearing oral arguments earlier this year uh, from her hospital bed as she underwent, you know, treatment in her latest battle with pancreatic cancer. Uh, she was hearing arguments and asking questions from her hospital bed uh, via remote connection to the Supreme Court. And you know, just you know, an inspirational and inspiring figure. Uh, it is, you know, often said, you know, in kind of a cliche. But in in the case of Justice Ginsburg, uh, it is going to be a very long time before we see someone of her caliber uh, rise to the bench again. So we, you know, we we mourn her passing. Our thoughts and prayers go out to her family and associates and people that have worked with her through the years who are feeling this very deeply. So, you know, a as I alluded to, you know, the, the passing of Justice Ginsburg has you know, absolutely created a whirlwind of, of issue and, and controversy and discussion and debate over what is going to happen with the Supreme Court particularly considering that we are some 42 days as of the, the day this show airs uh, from the presidential election. And that, that's something of note, and we're going to talk about that. Um, you, know, you, you may recall that back in 2016, uh, former, you know, President Barack Obama appointed um, Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court to fill the vacancy of uh, Justice Scalia, who had passed away unexpectedly, uh, and that nomination being put forward in an election year uh, was delayed by the Senate uh, with the then and still current majority leader saying that, you know, there would be no vote on a nominee because, you know, it was within an election year. There were about 11 months to go. Uh, through you know between when the nomination came out and the election date, I believe it was back in February, early February of 2016, that the nomination was put forward, and you know McConnell very very clearly said that nothing would be done on this nomination in an election year that would that would have an impact on the election. Uh, this also you know uh, Senator Lindsey Graham said in public statement effectively that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, that there would be, you know, no, nom no nomination would be put forward or should be put forward 
and you know you can you can hold him to his words and you know that is it so we fast forward here to 2020 with you know a month and a half as i said 42 days to go to the election and we have a similar situation where justice has passed and the option you know becomes for the president as is his duty and responsibility to appoint nominees and for the senate to provide advice and consent uh, as to the nominee of the president to be appointed to the Supreme Court. Now, what we have today is Mitch McConnell, who is quoted as saying, you know, the President Trump's, and again, this is a, a quote from Mitch McConnell, President Trump's nominee will receive a vote on the floor of the United States Senate. So, you know, he is number one apparently going back and against his own edict uh, given in 2016 and reinforced in in public comments in you know 2018 uh, to now saying yes he's gonna go forward with with a nomination this close to an election now 2016 it was 11 months out 2020 we're 42 days out uh, you know, so there is going to be an, an, an oversized impact of this nomination process that's going to happen uh, if they do proceed forward with it ahead of the November 3rd election. And, you know, it, it, it is going to create a firestorm of response from the Democratic side and it already has. Um, you know, it, it has been notably pointed out across most of the mainstream media that you know, the, the hypocritical nature of McConnell's actions uh, really are very, very evident here. Uh, obviously, when a Democratic president appoints a nominee and a Republican Senate has the option of advising consent, uh, they're not going to do anything. But when a Republican president appoints a nominee, and again, the Senate in its role of advising consent uh, decides to move forward, with you know only weeks remaining before an election a lot of critics are crying foul on that and you know you could argue you know pro and con both ways um i i have some thoughts on that which i'll get to in a minute you know it it is clear that the passing of you know justice ginsburg uh has thrown a huge curve uh, into an already contentious political uh, season uh, under, you know, unique and never before uh, practiced circumstances with the pandemic and social distancing and mask wearing and, and all of the elements that have been going on. Uh, now you have the notion of, you know, the president appointing a nominee and the Senate moving quickly to try and get that nominee perhaps confirmed before the election. Well, you know, the the Republicans uh, are not have not fully uh, dialed into it. There are a, a couple of Republicans uh, who have already come out and said that they they don't want to see a vote on a nominee prior to the election uh, and even to put the process on hold and 
you know, that is, is creating some internal strife within the Republican Party as Mitch, Mitch McConnell needs to uh, scramble around and make sure he can whip the votes uh, in line and allow the Republicans to use their, you know, their majority in the Senate to get a nominee confirmed quickly. Um, and it should be noted that most nominations, the overwhelming majority of nominations, uh, have taken on average about 45 to 50 days to process from, you know, the, the name being placed on the floor of the Senate and the Senate voting to approve or disapprove. Uh, so, you know, we are right inside that deadline and, you know, the optics of it, if, if you are a critic of, you know, the Republican methodology of doing things, the optics of this look very bad. Uh, even for, you know, Republicans, uh, the optics here are not favorable. Uh, it, it could likely hand a huge leg up to the Democrats in their quest for the White House and, you know, control of the Senate and a further expansion of their control in the House. This could put the, you know, Republican prospects for uh, retaining the White House and, you know, retaining control of the Senate, uh, as well as any possibility of gaining control in the House uh, in serious jeopardy as, you know, the, the Democratic and independent response to this, to this action of moving this nomination forward so quickly uh, could backfire on them. On the other side, you know, Democrats uh, are, are looking to jump on this opportunity to, again, point out that the Republicans are in a win-at-any-cost mentality, and that cost includes, you know, adherence to, to long-standing rules within the Senate and House, as well as, you know, already expressed concerns about the lack of apparent care for the American people through their handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, this, it's going to be, <laughs> if it was already a, a barn burner of a race as we, we rapidly go down the home stretch, you know, in 40 days to the election. And, you know, with the Republicans and notably uh, the president uh, already on the short end of the polls uh, to the Democratic uh, contender, um, you know, it, it, it is looking more likely like Democrats will, in fact, uh, win the day uh, on Election Day. Um, so, you know, we are just going to have to strap in, you know, pay attention and keep our hands and, hands and feet inside the ride at all times like we always have to. Uh, but, you know, the, the passing of, of Justice Ginsburg has uh, unbelievably, you know, overshadowed just about everything else in this this year, you know, including the elections and COVID and the economic and unemployment and all the other things going on, uh, it is likely that the battle for the Supreme Court is going to be issue number one as we move forward to the election. So it, it is clear that as American public opinion begins to you know come into focus on this. Uh, it, it is not a definite leaning one way or the other right yet, 
but as more information comes out and more discussion is held and uh, as I'm going to talk about in a few minutes um, the list of potential nominees coming from President Trump uh, begins to 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 solidify into a short list uh, we will likely see some very very pointed discussions on both sides of the aisle and the political spectrum as to what this is going to mean for the country and you know number one it should be clear that you know should or, or actually when uh, a nominee is confirmed because remember even if the incumbent loses on election day uh, you know President Trump will still be president of the United States and the Republicans will still control the Senate uh, until late January so you know there's there's still you know two months two and a half months uh, post election day where a person can be you know nominated vetted and approved by a Republican controlled Senate uh, and there's there's little that the Democrats can do about it even if they are successful in you know gaining the presidency and gaining control of the Senate that control will not take over until after uh, the new president uh, is sworn in so you know there is you know a lot of uh, things in the mix here that we are going to need to pay close attention to uh, who your uh, elected officials especially those if you are in a district that is up for re-election uh, who they they are favoring uh, do they favor you know an, an early approach to the nomination and approval or you know do they favor you know nominating now and approving later and we're gonna weigh on on the pluses and minuses of those as we come in for the second segment but you know it, it's really gonna be interesting uh, to to see what transpires with this you know remarkable change of direction in the political uh, landscape that we're seeing starting to play out here in the US so you know it it goes without saying that you know it, this has been a year this has been a year oh my lord this has been a year of you know e events and implications and things that have gone on um, I know I was was speaking with some friends and and you know chatting and, and online and more than a few people are you know ready to you know for 2020 to be done you know if the how much more can can we pile on our plates here uh, but you know we have to get through it we've got to get to the election we've got to get out and vote we've got to do our civic duty and it, it is more important than ever that we make our you know election vote heard so that our representatives are clear on what we expect of them so you know obviously you know the the call to action here with this is to reach out to your senators particularly if you know you're a Republican state and make sure that your your voice and your wishes are heard so you know even though uh, your your senator may be a Republican and you may be a Democrat or independent they are still your senator and you need to reach out and communicate to them and let them know what your feelings are uh, so that you know they are aware that we are watching that we are holding them accountable and that you know 
possibly their you know, future employment prospect hangs in the balance. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back after the break. Uh, we're going to touch in on those Senate races and, and some other things. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMS Radio and DoubleMintRadio.com over in the UK. Howdy to you guys over there across the ocean. Um, you know, what do you think of, of the political show coming out of the U.S. over here? Send an email at FiredUpRadio at Yahoo.com. Let me know what you think. I love to hear your opinions. Uh, I love to get emails and, and read, and, you know, we can respond to them and dialogue about them. So please send, send email to the show, and that's FiredUpRadio at Yahoo.com. And uh, we, will, we will pick up on the second half right after this break. Uh, and speaking of the break, uh, I kind of picked the song for this break. And you notice if you've listened to the show that I balance between you know, public service announcements and musical breaks. Uh, on, on this one, I, I think I've picked the song that kind of reflects what uh, you know, Mitch McConnell may be feeling and what you know, some of these senators who are in contested elections uh, may be feeling. So check it out, and we'll be right back after this break. Slashed and torn Why? 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 
And we're back. And we're back under pressure. Do you think uh, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate are feeling any pressure uh, with the, you know, the need to uh, nominate and approve a replacement for Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg? We shall see. Anyway, welcome back to Fired Up. This is Steve right here on WJMS Radio and doublementradio.com over in the UK. Uh, we're talking about the impact and the, the follow-up to the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And uh, it, it has you know, literally thrown yet another twist into the already twisted political season we find ourselves in, uh, with 42 days left until the presidential election here in the United States. Uh, now the considerations are out there regarding uh, what's to be done about uh, appointing a new justice to the Supreme Court. And, you know, I, I've, I've listened to and read and watched a lot of uh, punditry over the last uh, 48 hours. And uh, I think there are four options uh, available for the Republicans uh, to take in, in going through the approval process to replace Justice Ginsburg on the bench. Um, you know, and in no particular order, option number one would be uh, to go forward with the nomination and a vote before the election on November 3rd. Uh, of course, this would break the so-called Biden rule, which is a rule established by the Senate that precluded nominating an appointment to the bench, uh, particularly the Supreme Court, uh, in the last year of a sitting president's term, uh, and one at which uh, you know, Mitch McConnell exercised in 2016 with the Obama appointment of Merrick Garland to the bench to uh, replace uh, Justice Scalia, who died suddenly. If they go ahead and move forward with this prior to the election, uh, the Democrats are likely to go hard in the final days uh, on opposition to this uh, in, in the Senate, and it will likely become a leading uh, topic of discussion in the uh, presidential nomination, uh, I'm sorry, presidential election uh, that's coming up. And, and by the way, uh, there's a presidential debate coming up uh, tomorrow, I believe, Tuesday, uh, between, you know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And this is very likely going to be a significant chunk of that debate. Uh, but as I said, the Democrats would likely go hard on this. And, you know, every, you know, indication and, and you know, a lot of the uh, analysis is saying that uh, this could be a very deciding factor in a large-scale uh, Biden win uh, for the presidency and a Democratic uh, takeover of the Senate and strengthening of their position in the House, as well as down-ballot races. Let's not forget about those. Um, you know, so there is a huge negative impact uh, to trying to push this through before the November 3rd election. Uh, on the plus side, you know, the Republicans, you know, in, in either of these scenarios that I'm, I'm laying out here, uh, keep in mind, 
Uh, as I said, uh, the Republicans are in power controlling two of the three uh, arms of legislative power in, in the country until January 21st when you know, a, a new president uh, is uh, inaugurated or you know, Donald Trump is inaugurated for his second term. They still have the entire lame duck session in order to get their their nominee, um, you know, inserted and approved. Uh, so, you know, and it goes to option number two. Uh, the Republicans would nominate, but would hold the vote after the election. So they would place the person they want to be their Supreme Court pick into nomination prior to the election, but would hold the vote till after the election in the lame duck session. Um, it would still get you know, pounded by the Democrats that, you know, they are, you know, violating their, their own rule, essentially, uh, to, to conduct the nomination and voting in the middle of an election year. Uh, it still would likely lead to a uh, Biden win for the presidency and a sweep by the Democrats of the Senate and the House. But they also would still get their their third conservative judge appointment to the bench, uh, you know, as as they've been aiming for uh, for the last three years, four years. Option number three, uh, the Republicans would push the nomination and the vote until after the election, and again make this happen in the lame duck session of uh, the Senate. Uh, prior to the inauguration on the 21st of January, uh, it would still be possible for you know Joe Biden to win. And I, I state these you know realizing that right now uh, former Vice President Biden holds a lead in just about every poll, uh, ranging from you know five points to 11 points uh, across the board over you know President Trump. Um, you know, so this this could add a possible bump to that margin. Uh, and, you know, as I said in the prior two, the Republicans would still get their justice appointed to the court um, either way if they get it done within the lame duck session. Uh, the fourth option, which isn't very likely, but is a possibility, uh, is that they will hold the nomination and the vote until after January 21st, thus giving the, the uh, option of presenting a nominee to the Senate and having a confirming vote under the new administration, whether that is a you know, Trump second term or a new Biden administration they would hold that off until after January 21st. Again, isn't likely. Uh, the Republicans want to make sure they lock this in before the uh, election uh, to, to hedge their bet and make sure that it happens. You know, it is, it is a key part of the Republican strategy. It was a key point made by Donald Trump in his uh, campaign for president in 2016 that he would appoint conservative justices to the Supreme Court uh, as part of his term as president. And he has already appointed you know, two. He's appointed Justice Gorsuch and he appointed Justice Kavanaugh. 
and he now has a third opportunity to appoint a conservative justice to the bench, which would give the Supreme Court uh, a 6-3 majority in terms of conservative versus liberal, and you know, lock in you know, that uh, ideology into the Supreme Court for you know, arguably the next you know, 20 to 30 years. Um, so you know, the, the Republicans have the option of choosing which way they want to do it, but either way, as I said in the first three options, uh, they still, if they can get it done in the lame duck session, they still will get their third conservative justice on the bench uh, either way. So, you know, it will remain to be seen. And as we go through this coming week, uh, there's going to be some very heated uh, debates and discussions uh, around when this nomination should occur and when the vote should occur. Uh, but at the end of the day, keep in mind that, you know, should they get it accomplished within the time frame prior to January 21st, uh, they have the control to do that. So, you know, we've, we've already talked about, you know, the, the court uh, impact that will be felt from the replacement of Justice Ginsburg. Uh, it is also going to have a huge impact on the Senate races that are occurring in this election cycle. And there are, you know, a total of uh, 32 senators up for re-election, uh, 16 of which are in what are called battleground states or ones where uh, the races are hotly contested. And let me go, let me go through those. So starting off, we have uh, Texas, Republican Senator John Cornyn is up for re-election. Uh, South Carolina, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. North Carolina, Republican Senator Tom Tillis. In New Hampshire, Democratic Senator Gene Shaheen is up for re-election. In Montana, Republican Senator Steve Daines. In Minnesota, Democratic Senator Tina Smith. In Michigan, Democratic Senator Gary Peters. In Maine, Republican Senator Susan Collins. In Kentucky, Republican Senator Mitch McConnell. Uh, in Kansas, Republican Senator Pat Roberts. In Iowa, Republican Senator Joni Ernst. In Georgia, uh, which is a special election, Republican Senator Kelly Loeffler. And in Georgia also, a second seat available uh, is uh, Republican Senator David Perdue. In Colorado, Republican Senator Cory Gardner, Arizona, Republican Senator Martha McSally, and in Alabama, Democratic Senator Doug Jones. Now, why is that so critical in these states? Uh, well, the Democrats, I'm sorry, the Republicans are defending 23 seats and the Democrats are defending 12 in the overall election. Uh, however, you know, with the current makeup of the Senate being 53-47 uh, uh, Republicans uh, versus Democrat slash independent uh, senators, respectively, uh, the Democrats only need to flip, you know, four seats if they don't take the presidency, three seats if they do, uh, to control the Senate. And, you know, if, if they retain control of the House, then you know that will give them control of all three branches of government 
and you know there there would be a lot that they could get done with those majorities. Uh, and again, even if you know Donald Trump uh, is reelected as president, uh, but you know the Democrats gain four seats in the Senate, they would have control of the Senate and the House uh, and make Donald Trump's life as president uh, a little more difficult, shall we say? Um, so you know it, it is there's a lot at stake in this election which speaks to even more of the need for everybody, regardless of party, get out there and get your vote cast. Either get it mailed in early as possible or mask up, glove up, protect up, and, and go vote in person. But make sure that your vote gets in and gets counted. Uh, as you can see, there is a lot riding on this election. Um, so you know, in, in, in terms of that, and, you know, as we talk about uh, replacing, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Donald Trump has put out a list of some 20 individuals uh, on his long list of uh, potential candidates to be Supreme Court justice. And I'm, I'm going to go through them and, and give their current position. Uh, it, you know, again, with so many of them, uh, and the fact that this list uh, was just updated midweek, I have not had time to go out and, and get a, a brief bio on all of them. So I will continue to do that and bring that to uh, the show uh, coming up uh, next week or week after. But his list of uh, nominees, in, including uh, Republican Senator Ted Cruz, Republican Senator uh, Hawley and, uh, of Missouri and Republican Senator Cotton of Arkansas uh, are, you know, Bridget Bade, a judge on the Ninth Circuit uh, Appeals Court, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron, Paul Clement, former U.S. Solicitor General, Stuart Kyle Duncan, a judge on the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, Stephen Engel, who, heards, who heads the Office of Legal Counsel at the Department of Justice, Noel Francisco, former Solicitor General, James Ho, a judge on the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, Gregory Katzis, a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court, uh, Barbara Lagoa, a judge on the Eleventh uh, Circuit Court of Appeals, Christopher Landau, U.S. Ambassador to Mexico, Carlos Muñiz, a justice on the Florida Supreme Court, Martha Packold, a judge for the Northern District of Illinois, Peter Phipps, a judge on the Third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, Sarah Pitlick, a judge for the Eastern District of Missouri, Allison Jones, Russian, a judge on the Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, Kate Todd, a deputy White House counsel, and Lawrence Van Dyke, a judge on the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Obviously, that's a long list of people to consider, and this list will be whittled down uh, as, as the process continues over the next week to 10 days, and there will be a short list of individuals who will be presented for consideration. Uh, but, you know, there, there is no shortage of people that President Trump wants, uh, would like to see any one of uh, become the next Supreme Court justice. And as that list gets whittled down and we start to see who the, the short list is, we can make some better judgment on, you know, which way it, it, it's likely that they may go. But as, as I said in the first segment, 
you know, this has, you know, overarched just about everything else in the political news spectrum uh, over the last 48 hours and is likely to rank up there in the top along with the election and, and all of the other elements that are gathering our attention. So, you know, again, something more that we need to make sure we're paying attention to that we dig in and get uh, um, information on. I'll post the uh, article with the list of names on the Facebook page. Uh, that'll be up by the time the show airs. And, you know, you can, you know, go out, dig in, find out what you need to know in order to help you make a decision and have your discussions with your elected officials as to how you'd like to see the process go. So uh, we will keep you posted on that. Wanted to get to a, a couple of other things that did happen, uh, you know, outside of what's going on with the election. Uh, one of them is I wanted to follow up on a story that I've been you know, keeping tabs on for the last couple of months. Uh, and it, it speaks about the, the Florida uh, case and decision um, by the people in Florida to allow former inmates who have completed their debt to society, have you know, done their time, have completed parole or probation, and you know are are returned to citizen status to also regain their their voting right it was signed into law um, in florida and immediately the um, legislature turned around and and tacked on some additional uh requirements most notably uh you know paying back any restitution fees fines penalties etc which the Florida State Supreme Court uh, held as an illegal poll tax uh, and, you know, struck that down. And the Republicans in Florida continue to resist this initiative to, to fight it. it it's, it's, you know, obviously uh, on its way, if it's not already uh, at the doorstep of the Supreme Court, and, you know, to look in, as, as this show is, is about, looking at the games played, in Florida, they recognize that 1.4 million non-voters would return to the voting rolls. And, you know, statistically, uh, former felons uh, typically overwhelmingly vote Democratic. Now, when you take into account that the last uh, governor's race in Florida and the presidential race in Florida in, in the last presidential cycle were won by the Republicans with less than you know, 70,000 votes all in, uh, you can see where an additional you know, 1,750,000 uh, potential Democratic voters might be problematic for them. Some of the wrinkles in this, uh, one, you know, even if the person has completed their debt to society. The state of Florida has no method of determining how much a former felon owes. There's no central tracking system on what fines, fees, and penalties were assessed, and they don't have a responsibility to provide an accounting of those those monetary values. So, you know, even as the the legislation uh, would be upheld. 
there's no mechanism in order to, uh, or, or rather, I should say, even if the legislation is, is shot down, there's no mechanism to account for the monies that are owed. So even if you know, they are successful in getting the legislation, getting the law enacted, and getting it actively uh, executed, there's no process for anybody to find out how much money they owe. Uh, so, you know, again, you know, this is where your local impact can be felt. This is where your, your conversation with your local leadership uh, comes into play in letting your legislatures, your governor know that you, the people, voted on this. We, we agreed to this. We gave you the mandate to make it happen, so make it happen. Um, another subject that I wanted to make sure I got in here bef before we wrap the show uh, is uh, something else that came out this week that caught my attention uh, is a report that, uh, and if you remember, uh, Donald Trump uh, had the military and uh, uh, National Guard in Washington, D.C. clear out protesters across the street from the White House uh, using uh, tear gas, uh, smoke grenades, and flashbang grenades so that he could walk to uh, a church across the street and have a photo op standing in front of the church holding up a Bible. Um, it has come out in recent news that as part of that effort, a request was made to the D.C., the District of Columbia National Guard, if they had a weapon known as an active denial system or ADS, which is essentially a heat ray that uh, broadcasts a millimeter wave electromagnetic ray that causes the skin to heat up to a very uncomfortable level. Basically, uh, you know, think of a microwave being pointed at a crowd and, you know, the on button being pushed. Now, you know, number one, there, the, while the military has such a weapon, the D.C. National Guard did not, nor would they have deployed it had they had it. Uh, it, it is totally unprecedented in American history for any arm of the U.S. military to, to uh, point weapons and, and take aim and fire on American citizens exercising their First Amendment rights to protest in this country. That is not, does not happen in this country. Um, so it, it, you know, it wasn't something that was going to be done, but the mere fact that they inquired about the possibility of doing that really should give us all some pause to think about, you know, how far we have come as not only a, a society, but as a government, where we would even consider, you know, deploying, um, you know, such a weapon on people who pose no threat other than exercising their First Amendment rights. So just something to think about, um, you know, and you know, let, let's be sure that we, you know, stay on top of these events, that we do our history references that we do our diligence that we dig deeper dig wider find out the facts we need to know so 
that's going to do it. I was glad I was able to get those two elements in. This has been a busy, busy show today. Uh, I do want to end, as always, it is critically important, no matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, that you get your vote in and get it counted. Uh, so please make sure that you have a plan and that you execute that plan, whether it's mail-in voting uh, or you know getting out to the polls for those states, and there are a few that have already opened up the polls for early voting, uh, or that you go in person on election day and prepare accordingly and make sure you get your votes in. Also, be aware, and I have noticed them here in the community that I live in, that the U.S. Census Department has deployed its uh, census takers to gather information on household size for those people who did not respond through the mail campaign or online. So, you know, be on the lookout. If you haven't already taken part in the census, you may get a knock at the door or a ring on your doorbell uh, from someone from the census. Please get that information in. It determines where money goes in federal allocations to schools, infrastructure, hospitals, first responders, new fire engines, PPE, all of that stuff is distributed in this country based on information that comes out of the census. So, you know, don't be afraid. It is not an identification program. It is a counting program. All right. So please make sure you get your census uh, information done. I believe you can still go online to 2020census.gov and complete the census. So let's make that happen. All right. That's going to wrap up the show for this week. As always, I thank you greatly for tuning in and listening. If you'd like to interact with the show, please send email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. Take a look at my Facebook page as I will post information on what I've talked about this week on my page, and that is Fired Up Radio on Facebook. And uh, I will be tweeting out, uh, especially as updates come out, on the uh, Ginsburg replacement and other subjects, I will tweet out from my Twitter account, which is at RUFiredUp. As always, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Fired Up. My name is Steve. We're right here every Monday at 5.30 p.m. in the U.S. and 10.30 p.m. in the U.K. Fired Up Radio, WJMSRadio.com, DoubleMintRadio.com. I will talk to you again in seven days. Please stay safe. Until then, have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye. message wherever you stand I'm calling every woman calling every man we're the generation we can't afford to wait the future started yesterday and we're already late hi everyone 
I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for all that you're doing to help everyone in this country make their voices heard in this year's election and in every election. Your work has never been more important. From the ongoing pandemic to the passion and protests we've seen for racial and social justice, it's clear that we're in the middle of a big moment in this country. And that means we need leadership that honestly reflects who we are and what we stand for. Our job between now and November is to make sure everyone we know understands that the power to make change rests on our ability to cast a vote. Fair and safe voting is gonna be more important than ever this year. And that's why When We All Vote is fighting to expand vote by mail, in-person early voting, and online voter registration. Now I'm gonna be honest, we're really gonna need your help to make these efforts a success. Luckily, the first step is an easy one. Just spread the word. Make sure your friends, families, and communities are registered, know their rights, and are fully prepared to vote by mail this year or vote early in person. So go to whenweallvote.org to find out more and get yourselves, your families, and your friends ready to make their voices heard. Let's get more folks across the country trained with the tools, the resources, and the information they'll need to vote because this election couldn't be more important. The preceding message was presented in public interest as a public service by your friends here at WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined.